and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. How's your week been? Mine has been really busy, but good. I was particularly lucky last Friday to spend the day with Tom McEwen at his yard in Gloucestershire. It was for a feature which is out in the magazine next week, the 24th of February issue. It was really interesting to see how Tom works with his horses at home day to day and get a proper look inside his yard and see what he gets up to. So do look out for that feature. This week, we're speaking to international rider, trainer and judge Isabel Vessels. She has some great insight on how to prepare for a dressage test to gain the highest possible score. You need to know, the rider needs to look at the test, see where is the judge going to give the mark and make sure you are doing what you should be doing. I'll be chatting to our news team about Horse of the Year show qualifiers being removed from the Great Yorkshire show and new kit recommendations in eventing. Finally, personal trainer Katie Bleakman will give her advice on boosting your riding confidence. You need to have the ability to control your horse. You're equally 50%, so you know you need to make sure that your 50% of the partnership is as strong and as confident both mentally and physically as it can possibly be. More coming from Katie later. That's enough from me. Tighten up your girth and let's get started. Hello, I'm Polly Bryan, dressage editor at Horse and Hound, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by Isabel Vessels, an international rider, trainer, and five-star FEI judge, who has judged at some of the biggest championships in the world, including the 2021 European Championships in Hagen. Isabel, hi, how are you? Hi, Polly. I'm fine, and I hope you are too. I'm very well, thank you. It is wonderful to have you on. Um, I find it absolutely fascinating speaking to judges, especially judges who have um, have as much experience as you do and have sort of judged at such incredibly important events. So Isabel, how long is it that you have been judging international dressage for now? Well, I started the journey um, in the early 2000s, um, but I was actually still competing internationally at that stage. So that meant I couldn't judge uh, seniors anyway on on the European uh, continent uh, because you're not allowed to do both. So, so I did a, I did some pony things and the FEI Challenge Tour, which took me to some wonderful parts of the world, which was great fun. Um, and and then when I finished with the with the riding, I I did my four star exam and passed that when I think it was sort of like two thousand and four something like that. And I was promoted to five star in two thousand and eleven. Okay, and that's the highest level of FEI judge, it is. isn't it? Yeah. 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 So in the last decades, you have judged at some, I mean, fantastic championships and in some fantastic locations. What are yes. your highlights? What are the, your best standout memories? Well, there have been many, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, but one of the most amazing experiences I, I have to relate on this podcast, because in one of your recent horse and hound issues, you had an interview with the the wonderful Alan Davis, who is Charlotte and Carl's groom. We did. He's wonderful. He spoke about Hagen in 2012, mm. where Vallegro and and Charlotte reached this enormous score in the Grand Prix special. Yeah. 
the world records. <laughs> I was the judge at sea. Oh, that was you, of course. My gosh. And um, it was it was the most amazing test. And the fact that it was then, of course, the world record, um, of course, was just, uh, you know, it's just a bit mind blowing, <laughs> really. But my writer was almost uh, falling off her chair with the scores I was giving. But there was never any doubt. I have never seen the two of them go so well. And and uh, doing the prize giving at the end and hearing the national anthem. I don't know. It, it was such a wonderful feeling. The atmosphere was was just incredible. I will never forget that moment. And and then again later, I was also on the the jury where where Charlotte broke the world record for the Grand Prix and the freestyle at Olympia. Oh wow! And How special! I I can remember thinking at the time when she was doing her freestyle, which was just magical. Mm. That you know, I'd better be careful because the 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 camera whizzes around and <laughs> the last thing I'd want is for the camera to catch me with my mouth wide open and my <laughs> eyes staring <laughs> or tears falling down oh my cheeks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so so those those were very, very memorable. Yeah. And, and the, the other really wonderful thing was judging Totalas with okay. Edward. Mm, Edward's uh, girl. Because, yeah. And also with Matthias, I, I, I judge him, the, the two of them as well. But this Totalas was such a magical horse. So he had such a, an aura. He he drew you in when when you judged him. He he just he just sort of pulled at you. I yeah. I, I, I can't describe it, but those those two horses, of course, changed the the face of judging really because suddenly giving tens was quite normal. And I feel so humbled and privileged that I I've been around and judge those those iconic horses that that you know will be in everyone's minds forever and ever so it's those are standout moments and you know there are some perhaps lesser moments also inspirational but, but those two horses mm. made a huge impact on my on my journey and my my own personal judging so my gosh how how wonderful, wonderful. as you say to have mm. those horses as part of your career I just can't imagine what it must be like to to judge well either of them but I mean judging Vallegro doing a world record test of course you don't know it's a world record at the time but were you watching and giving your scores and thinking my gosh this score this total score is going to be absolutely massive does that occur to you at the time I think I think uh, it does sort of cross your mind, but actually, the British judges, you know, we're we're uh, of course there are five of us who are five star judges, mm -hmm. so you know we're we're very well represented. But we have all been trained really by Stephen Clark, the wonderful Stephen Clark, yeah. And he ha from the beginning, he you know he always said, you know, just give the mark, the, give the comment and the mark for each movement and carry on don't don't think about it. just comment and mark each movement as it comes along and and when you when you judge like that um you're you're not overawed by what you're actually doing you're just being fair so yeah. um it's easier to keep keep your line and and the same you know if it's a little bit at the other end of the scale where one has to be a bit stronger with the with the marks and the comments i think as long as you judge every single movement fairly and square like a like a new you know the, the next movement is another page mm. don't 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 be grumpy 
and carry that through to the next thing or don't be over ex uh, excited and carry that through either. It has to be each movement a fair and square comment and mark. So that helps. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you mentioned that that those two horses, Total Ass and Vallegro, really uh, changed the face of, of British dressage because suddenly, you know, you were giving out all these tens. I, I mean, it must have, that must have helped in terms of giving judges the sort of the maybe the bravery to give out those higher marks where they really are deserved i know there's there's a lot of um discussion about judges who rarely venture very far from maybe a six or a seven in either direction but um do you feel it's really important to use the full the full range definitely yes i mean we're given 10 marks and we have the half marks as well so that's effectively 20 marks mm. and um you know 10 only means excellent it doesn't mean perfect and and it's like eight I, you know eight used to be the bit of a bit of a you know oh gosh you know i've just given this horse five eights so <sighs> this this is amazing but actually eight only means good yeah and um I, you know and some things are good in in different ways you know like quite often one sees a, a horse that's not perhaps the biggest mover um but very nicely trained and it will do a line of two time changes that are absolutely all the same all through all straight um in a very nice way and even if they're not the biggest changes in the world they're good you know good to very good so i think nowadays we're more inclined to go up when we see good training, happy horses going in a good way. And, um, you know, I, I think that's that's what's made the difference because you think to yourself, well, I've still, if I give this horse an 8.5 for those nice changes, I've still got a 9, a 9.5 and a 10. Yeah, <laughs> there's still plenty of room to go. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. I mean, in terms of, of that kind of impression um, a horse can make, you know, being very impressive, but for different reasons, is there sort of one thing that you can name as, as you know, judging almost any level, one thing you would suggest to all riders to, to try to work on for that very first impression? Well, I think it's easy to talk about, you know, the horse has to be straight, the the halt has to be straight in the correct place. The horse has to be effortless, um, stand still, mm. move off immediately. You know, that it, that first bit of a test is, is not the easiest to, to make a huge impression unless it's very, very exact. Mm. But there are many movements in, in a test where exactness on its own is not a strong enough reason to be very positive with the mark and uh, you know a lot of a lot of horses show an enormous amount of elasticity mm. and suppleness and self-carriage and willingness and through some of the movements this qualities are are more evident and mm. i think that's where we tend to go higher whereas you know i i can remember many times with the entry you know a horse comes in you're sitting at sea, it's dead straight, the horse stands still, the rider salutes and immediately moves off. And you you think, well, that looked, you know, maybe the canter could have had more jump, but everything else is really good. So I'm giving a nine. Mm. And um, and then your colleague at the side tells you, oh, but it was nowhere near X, <laughs> you know, whereas 
if there's a half pass, for instance, where, where the horse shows huge amount of balance, suppleness, elasticity, lovely bending, ease and harmony with the rider, all these things, mm. you know, that tends to be easier to, to get a, a more um, general uh, trend in the marking. And of course, it does depend where you sit. And, and the, I'm not using this as an excuse. But the, the whole thing about having judges in different seats is that the whole horse is accounted for. And yeah. sometimes a horse will be really, really good from behind. Maybe it doesn't look so good from the front or the other way around. But somebody will be able to mark it up for the qualities that it has, even if it's not all the judges. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting. And I think I think riders are a lot more... I think maybe aware of the difference in what you see depending on where you're sitting as a judge. Um, and it, it is remarkable, actually, the difference in what you can see and, and how you see it. Do you have a favourite position? Do you have somewhere you always want to be sitting? Um, I, I quite like the long side, I, okay. I have to see, because you 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 have the the total picture of the horse and, and it's really... Um, the place where you judge the way of going mm. a lot and you see more about balance and the the nice suppleness of the horse's body, the bending of joints. But then on the other hand, you know, I, I'm a great lover of half passes and um, from the long side, they don't look so yeah. good <laughs> as from the front. But I mean, it's always an honour to be at sea and... Um, you do actually get the best overall impression of the test. Mm. The only thing is, you know, if it's a freestyle, you have to make some decisions sometimes which are not very popular or the music crashes or something goes wrong. Yeah. All sorts of things mm. can happen and that makes it not so nice being at sea. Uh, but overall, sea is, sea is a lovely place to be. And uh, funnily enough, at the uh, in Hagen now uh, for the Europeans for the for the freestyle, I was at the other end. I was I was at um, at F. Okay. So the other end of the short, you know, of the arena. Yeah, and that's an unusual and place was, to be, isn't it? Because it's only at, at well, it, the well, top it is. Although as a as a trainer, one mostly stands sort of behind the the fence at A. Mm, so you, you're sort of used to looking at it from that point of view but then you're you, you've got your very critical hat on which hopefully as a judge one doesn't have such a hat one one tries to be positive and deliver the news in the best possible way but there were one or two horses where i was really surprised how much difference was clear when when you sat in that position and you saw all sorts of movements from behind and you, you one noticed that you know the, the lack of straightness or even sometimes an unequal use of the hind legs it's 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 amazing what you can see from from that position yeah that's really really interesting um i wanted to ask you about about hagen actually because of course it was such a wonderful championship almost a, a bonus championship to have it on top of the olympics but um yes i mean you must have had a wonderful time judging i wonder if um you know which of the were the combinations that really stood out for you um obviously uh our gold medalist jessica von bredo vandal was fantastic but you know are there any particular combinations that really caught your eye even if they weren't necessarily finishing at the very top of the leaderboard um 
Well, yes, I mean, Jesse was, was outstanding, even with a few little mistakes. Isabel Vert didn't have a great start, but her special was really lovely. Mm. And she is just the most amazing trainer and rider. I, I have so much respect for her because even when she's had not such a good ride, the next day, it's almost like she's got her game face on mm. and watch out everybody. <laughs> um, she, she was really, really amazing. Um, I, I really loved all our British riders. I, I thought they all did extremely well. Um, Gareth's horse was a little bit inexperienced, but did, he always rides so beautifully. And uh, Carl's special, I thought, was one of the best tests I've ever seen him ride with, with En Vogue, yeah. who is clearly a very, very sensitive horse. But the quality of some of his movements and the his pirouettes and uh, it, it was just a beautiful, beautiful test. Yeah, it really um, was. And and of course, little Geo was was just a machine. You know, a little pocket rocket. Uh, it was interesting because we we were slightly slagged off for not um, having um, Geo higher in in the freestyle. But actually, Susanna Barup from Denmark and myself, we both had uh, Geo in, in silver. Oh, really? And okay. Catherine, I think, in, in bronze. Catherine Dufour. Not a huge difference, mm. but we actually had it the other way around. But you know what it's like when you're a judge. They tend to tell and report what was, you know, not acceptable and actually um, <laughs> some of us had a slightly different opinion. But... You know, it isn't calculated. You you just put the things together one after the other. And uh, I really loved um, Geo's music. Yeah. Um, so that for me, it's just half a mark here and half a mark there. And it, in the end, you have a tiny difference in the in the in the ranking. But I think the ranking in this case, it it didn't really matter because one was happy with who came out in wherever they came out because yeah. they all deserve to be in the top whatever 15 definitely it was such a high standard it really was mm. and to have so many teams so many participants and many of them uh, were the ones who had been in um in tokyo so that i think that shows an enormous uh, amount of good management good riding and good horse care that these horses were able to do these two big championships in a relatively short time. And there was never any horse looking jaded or tired or in any ways compromised. They they all looked fit, happy, well and on their game, you yeah. know. So uh, it was it could have been a little bit of a. Uh, a disappointment after Tokyo, but it wasn't at all. And uh, some riders like Ari Rooster with with his um, lovely Contestro, oh, he, who's had a bad time in Tokyo, he could come and absolutely shine. Yes. So I think, I think it was great. And so many teams, you know, uh, I can't remember now how many, but there, there were loads of teams. So I think this was really good for the sport. And um, Hagen is one of my favourite shows, and they do such a good job there. They they took care of so all the details, and nobody was 
compromised by the, you know, the dreaded COVID thing. Uh, you know, people followed the rules and and um, Team Castleman just did the most amazing job, as as they always do mm. at all their shows. They they do a good a good job. Amazing. It's so it's so lovely to hear. And yeah, I think it was just such an incredible thing for the sport, as you say, to have to have two such very different but but equally wonderful championships in one summer it was um it was a very special year wasn't it last year i think well well it was and then the other nice thing was to go to um not long after i was judging at the top 10 show in stockholm and there was delera again yes just absolutely amazing again and our wonderful lottie fry oh, she's just great on one of her other horses, not her main horse, but, um, you know, she, what an inspiration she must be to all our young people mm. because uh, to judge her and to see this tiny little girl and the way she rides and how she's developed, I mean, it's it's just, you know, it's stuff that dreams are made of, basically. And it's just wonderful to see her in, in Stockholm on as, uh, on another one but also doing a super test and coming right up there you know with the best of them absolutely she is i mean just such a fabulous rider and competitor she's yeah she's absolutely wonderful um you mentioned a little bit earlier about the difference you know those those half marks can make you know when they add up across a test and those very small margins that that do make quite quite a difference um i wonder if there's any tips you can give to to riders out there riding at um probably not european championship level but but any of the mm -hmm. levels you know right up from the from the start any advice you can give to just you know rake in a few more of those little half marks that can really make such a difference yes of course i i think i think sometimes the the answers to getting a few more marks are more simple than people think and i mean like you were talking about the entry well you know if you have a horse that's not the biggest mover make sure you really nail all those halts mm. the rain back the walk pirouettes, the nitty gritty things that most people dislike. Actually, if you've got a well-trained horse, even if it's not a huge mover, you will find that you get lots more 7.5s and 8s when, you know, the wonder horses are perhaps making mistakes mm. and, and only getting 5s or 4s or whatever. So that would be my first thing is think about look at the test i mean in 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 a lot of tests there are there's a mark just for a transition from canter to trot you know get it right do it well because you know maybe you can get an eight or a nine for that and again the wonder horse with the huge canter and the huge trot loses balance and gets a low mark so the small things somehow uh, if, if you really take care you can elevate your score yeah and one of my pet hates it's you know we've all got things you know and i'm i'm not young so you know i've had time to to become a grumpy old judge i suppose but you know i'm i'm personally always trying they try i try so hard to give positive marks but when i really can't because riders have made silly mistakes i try to tell them not that they've made a mistake, but what they can do about it. Okay. And one of the biggest things I see is that riders have no 
control when they ride a horse on a diagonal line. So they, they don't look where they're going. They come off a corner, say at H, heading towards, a, uh, towards F. Mm. And um, they don't aim the horse or the shoulders of the horse towards F. They, they just sort of haphazardly turn on the diagonal and they sort of drift across and they end up not at F, but probably five or six meters before F. So they've shortened the line. The horse is basically not tracking straight or upright. So when you do five every four in a pre St. George, you wonder why there's a mistake at the end. It's because your horse was always drifting to the left instead of staying upright. You've got to be like on a railway line when you're on a diagonal. And because it's away from the wall, the horse will always try to drift. But if they're in the prelim and novice level, they teach their horses to do really, really good lines where the horse stays on the railway line. When then you have to do an extended trot or five every four or whatever, you you find that the horse is just automatically on the correct line. You don't have to do anything. You've maximized on the space that you have. The horse is going in exactly the right direction according to the test. And the quality of the, the line you ride makes the movement guaranteed to come off better. And you know, I think a lot of people think that we're accuracy mad, but it is, it's not that accuracy itself has any value. It's only that if you ride in a good way and you ride the lines in a correct and um, balanced way, that the horse has a chance to do the movement on that line even better. Yeah. Um, Riding good lines with with the horse upright and straight in front of you makes the movements work better and better. So that's it's just one of my pet hates. And uh, uh, sometimes that's really visible from the long side, much more from, than from the front. Mm. Um, but things like that, I think, are, are important. And riding corners, you know, the corners are your best friend that sets you up for what happens next and it also gives you more space and more room and if you ride into a corner to do a shoulder in if you if you're uh, if you've gone into the corner first you're very likely to ride a shoulder in whereas a lot of people cut a corner and then push the quarters out and quarters out and shoulder and shoulder in are not the same mm, thing yeah and we are looking all the time to to reward and give high marks and if you see a rider presenting a horse to a shoulder in in such a way where they as i say cut the corner and throw the quarters out you know as a judge that that horse has no future because the the rider is disengaging the hind legs from from the connection of the bridle so you know if they do it better the horse has a chance, the horse will improve and get better and shoulder in. It's a difficult movement. Don't give so many tens and shoulder in. (laughs) I imagine. Um, But, you know, it's a good training exercise. And when it's done well, it's a suppling exercise. So I think riders need to really think about all those things. And the the other thing, which I, I was helping someone this morning and I said, you know, you're doing well, Uh, your leg yield was lovely, but the last steps, the last two or three steps 
are not a leg yield anymore. And so where I'm going to give the mark, you're no longer doing a leg yield. So you've lost at least one mark. Yeah. Make sure you, you, you need to know, the rider needs to look at the test, see where, where is the judge gonna give the mark? And what should I be doing at that moment? And make sure you are doing what you should be doing. I suppose on that note, it's it's potentially better to for an, a movement to improve as it goes along. For example, a half pass to sort of improve as the half pass goes so that you finish with your best quality half yes. pass steps. And that's also when the judge will be going, okay, this is the mark. So yeah. I suppose if it can't be perfect from start to finish, better to be perfect at the finish than at the start. Absolutely. <laughs> and and we all know that, you know, there's there's a little bit of ring craft involved and, you know, nobody minds when when a rider adjusts their, their movement a little bit to suit their horse in order to have a nice ride or to encourage the horse to keep the horse relaxed. Um, there's no, no harm in that. But I think... I think riders don't train things like that at home. So when they go to the competition, they they have even less influence because you always lose something when you when you ride in a test. You know, it's mm. only a certain percentage of your normal performance at home. Sure. We're all we're all gold medalists at home, aren't we? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Isabel, it's been absolutely fascinating to chat to you. And it's so interesting to hear your your tips and your advice and your pet hates. It really, really is very, very interesting indeed. Thank you so much for coming on the Horse and Hound podcast. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. So I'm here today with two of our news team. First of all, our news editor, Eleanor Jones. Hi, Eleanor, how are you? Uh, I'm good, thank you. I had a, an experience this week I've never had before and don't necessarily want to have again. I got knocked off my horse by a tree. That sounds like something that happened to me when I was six. I think you're going to have to explain further. <laughs> well, this mare, I'm lucky enough to have these fields next to the yard that I can ride in. And this mare, obviously they're a bit wet at this time of year. And the big mare's like, oh, I can't possibly get my feet wet. So she sort of does diversions around the wet bits, even though half the time that takes her onto bits that are wetter anyway. But, And I don't know how it happened, but she must have like really stealth bombed over to the side. And suddenly I had a face full of twigs and was all like, nah, with my head down, trying to avoid all the twigs. And then there was this massive branch and it was like yeah that that's not going to be brushed out of my face and I hit the deck I think that this brings up a theme actually that I was thinking about last week which is that I really don't have very good steering when I'm on my horse and it's not something I'd really appreciated but I did two things in one week I went to a pole work clinic and I went to a grid work clinic where the instructor put out a lot of like um like poles and things that we had to ride down like tram lines to get to the fences so you had to like really steer and from the two of those things I really realized that my precision control is not that great so I'm going to be working on steering and I think that's something you should work on as well well yeah because suddenly I was just in this tree and then of course me getting stuck she panicked and shut off and got terrified and she didn't care about how wet the ground was when she was galloping back home over it <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I think you're going to have to work on persuading your horse to go through water and steering. And I'm just going to have to work on steering. That is my theory. Well, we also have with us our senior news writer, Lucy Elder. Lucy, how is your pony steering and what's been happening? <laughs> um, it's been all right. But to be honest, I've 
been on the ground doing doing a lot of that recently, sort of long she's <laughs> Oh, sorry, Al. <laughs> um, yeah, no, she's she's very good. My pony stirring's all right. I've been again watching um, watching a lot of the Winter Olympics again this week, um, and I mean that takes steering to another level when you watch kind of the half pipe and uh, and the big uh, competition. In fact, all of it really. So um, yes, no, that's been good. How about you, Pippa? I've been watching some of it as well, Lucy. Actually, since you mentioned it last week, and um, it's really quite dangerous the Winter Olympics. Like it seems like there are so many opportunities to like get your fingers cut off or fall like a thousand feet out of the sky and smash your head. But it's really exciting because of that. Um, obviously, <laughs> partly because of that. And it's great sport. And did you see that referee in the ice hockey who got smashed in the face and had to go and get stitches and came back like 20 minutes later and carried on being an official? I know it's it's unbelievable isn't it when you say it? it's it's kind of the whole it matches everything all that adrenaline and speed and beauty but yeah really the the risk of things going wrong is is high which when it goes right makes it even more amazing I think and also because I've tried things like skiing and ice skating and it gives you that whole new level of appreciation for just how difficult and painful it is when it can go wrong it's danger but it's exciting the stakes are high for sure um aside from that i was out doing combined training last weekend i've got a 32 dressage in one down so that was a good little outing and i'm out show jumping this weekend so yeah keeping keeping the connemara pony busy well, on to the real news. Eleanor, last week we were talking about obesity in horses and this week it's rider size. This is a story that you've been working on about a new rule at the Great Yorkshire, the Great Yorkshire Show and a subsequent decision by Horse of the Year show, Hoys as we call it. Fill us in. What is this new rule and what has come down from Hoys as a result of it? So the rule was actually brought in last year at the Great Yorkshire and we, we covered it at the time. And it means essentially that horses and ponies can only be ridden either by the riders who are entered to compete with them in a certain class. Or you can have a substitute rider, but that rider has to be also of an age that would mean they were eligible for the class, if that makes sense. OK, so if this is a class for riders who are aged 14 and under, for example, if you wanted someone else to work the pony in, they would have to also be 14 or under. That's that's the situation. Yeah, much simpler way of saying it. And this rule was brought in um, on top of the fact the Great Yorkshire Show has had since 2016 a ban on anyone riding a horse or pony who weighs, including tack, more than 20% of that horse's weight. And they brought the extra rule in because some people were still trying to get round the 20% rule and sort of riding horses and ponies they were too heavy for. And what has happened now? So that rule was brought in last year. What has happened now? What have Hoyes said? So Hoyes organisers Grandstand Media got in touch with the Great Yorkshire and, and essentially asked them to drop the rule. And they had also, the Great Yorkshire had also had a letter from the British Show Pony Society uh, along the same lines. And essentially what the Great Yorkshire was told was that if they, if they wanted their Hoyes qualifiers, they would have to drop this rule. Okay. And you spoke to Great Yorkshire's Amanda Sodart West. What did she say about sort of why they brought the rule in and, and are they going to, to change it because of Hoyes or are they sticking to their guns? No, they're sticking to their guns. They they said that, you know, despite the fact they had this 20% rider weight rule uh, in place and had done for five years, they were still seeing riders far too big for the animals warming them up. Uh, and they've said that, although of course safety is a, a huge priority in all classes, the wording for these classes says that a pony should be suitable for a child so therefore suitability must be a big consideration when you're entering and and as Amanda put it there's plenty of other ethical ways to settle a pony rather than just putting a bigger jockey on it to warm it up mm, okay and you spoke to Hoys as well obviously to, to get their side of the story so to speak what did they say 
So they confirmed that's why the decision was made and they've said that although Hoyes always has equine welfare as its highest priority, they also have a duty of care to the safety of children riding in their qualifi- in, in Hoyes qualifiers. Uh, and they said they work with the BSPS, the British Show Pony Society and the National Pony Society to ensure they're all driving the sport forward in terms of fairness and welfare. But as a result of the rule and a decreasing number of entries in these classes at the Great Yorkshire, uh, it's no longer viable to hold the qualifiers there. Okay, so on that point about decreasing number of entries, is that is that true? Did Great Yorkshire give you some figures? Yeah, so I asked them about that, and they uh, and they said that although entries in those classes had fluctuated, it was probably no more than in any other section. Um, so, for example, just in the in the thirteen two children's riding pony, they had fifteen entries in that class in twenty eleven and sixteen last year. Okay, so it's not a dramatic decrease, it wouldn't seem. Well, thank you, Eleanor. And I know you spoke to various other bodies and and people for reaction on this story too. There's a lot more about it in this week's magazine that uh, people can pick up and read about. Thank you. Lucy, you've been writing more about eventing safety this week. I think it's a bit of a roundup story on final bits and bobs from the FEI Eventing Risk Management Seminar. Is there more? Is this is this the end of the magnum opus? I think it is. It's It's been the gift that keeps on giving, really, as it was four hours of kind of the science and maths and technology which as we know never stands still or how that could be applied to the sport and how all those things impact the sport so it is really interesting and I know I say this every time I talk about it but if it wasn't interesting I wouldn't have sat through four hours of it and be writing all these (laughs) stories about it so um, as you said yes this is kind of a roundup of the last bits and pieces from that and the big headline from this week's story really is that air vests are going to be recommended for international cross country for 2022 you still need your up to standard body protector so it's not replacing those but it is quite a major thing really for the FEI to put it in its in its own rules that it's recommending them and we mentioned I certainly mentioned in a news story I wrote round about sort of autumn 2021 at the time the rule changes are all finalized for the next year that this was being decided so it's not you know brand new news for anyone that's been sort of reading the FEI's eventing rule book for 2022 as bedtime reading but what happens at this seminar is it gives context behind behind a lot of those rule changes and the at the seminar we had some insight sort of behind why it's not a hard and fast rule for this year which really it comes down to the need for more research in a nutshell so dr mark hart who's the fei medical committee chairman and he's also a cardiologist in his day job he said that while the preponderance of evidence is that air vests probably do help the majority of the time more definitive evidence is needed to show the beneficial effect and to know if there's any potential downsides as well. Uh, I went to British Eventing, of course, because I wanted to know if this is something that's going to be impacting all of our listeners that are out competing at national level. And a spokesman told me that it's not making a change to the national rules at this point, but that they are uh, closely monitoring the situation. Mm, Okay, that's an interesting one. And also there was some discussion about monitoring riders after falls. What was said about that? So this is interesting as well, especially when I sort of said at the beginning, didn't I, about how fast technology and science and medicine moves. And I think a couple of years ago, I was writing about um, new rules about riders maybe not being allowed to get back on after falling off across country. And it's amazing to think how, how fast things do progress sometimes in this sport. So Dr. Hart essentially said there's a responsibility to check on riders throughout their time on site. 
Now, we know that riders already have to be checked uh, by um, the medical officer after a fall before getting back on horse again or leaving the venue. So that already happens. But we know that concussions aren't always apparent straight away. Again, there's loads of research going on into sporting concussions that we're sort of writing about throughout the year, aren't we, and things. So within that context, this is one part of concussion management. Um, So there's the immediate assessment side where someone is you know, when they've fallen off, they need to be checked to see if they've sustained a head injury. But then this is a kind of a development of the other side, which is the the checking a rider sometime after a fall. And if a rider's still on site, then Dr. Hart was saying that we should be keeping monitoring their situation and how they're doing. So I thought that was quite interesting in terms of there's no set time frame yet as to whether that should be, you know, sort of three hours, 12 hours the next day, but rather a, a sort of broader advisory that we should be, or rather the sports be keeping a check on them and I also thought another point that was quite interesting was that he indicated the FBI is looking towards um, new technology such as uh, blood tests in helping recognize concussions in the near future uh, which is again is something I've been following in in the news and writing about in news in recent years so it's interesting to hear the FBI is looking into that new that new technology and research that might potentially be available soon. Mm, definitely. And of course, we're talking about FEI events. So in a lot of cases, riders would be on site for a couple of days, maybe, you know, riding other horses and so on. So it would be possible to to keep checking in with them or even a couple of hours later before they leave. Well, thank you, Lucy. All very interesting stuff. And to you too, Eleanor. So now we're going over to Katie Bleakman, an online fitness coach and personal trainer specialising in equestrian athletes. Katie has evented to a high level, winning team silver at the Eventing Pony Europeans. And now riders all over the world can benefit from her online coaching programme, Event Rider Fitness. Over to you, Katie. In this week's episode, we are going to be talking about boosting your riding confidence through your physical strength and how mental and physical strength go hand in hand. So making sure that you have confidence in your physical strength so that if you have a problem or an issue, maybe uh, you know that your horse tends to be a bit fresh and sharp at hacking and he might spin around or have a bit of a nap, you know that you have the physical strength and the mental confidence to be able to handle those situations. And this is quite a common problem amongst a lot of riders, especially probably more leisure riders or uh, amateur riders like myself that don't ride full time. And if you're not riding all the time and you know that you're not maybe quite as strong as you should be or quite as quick to react, then you probably are going to have a bit of a lack of confidence when it comes to the possibility of a slightly bad or negative situation occurring, something like being on the road and maybe uh, there's a building site up ahead and you know that your horse is going to try to spin around at the digger and you know in the back of your mind you're going to either struggle to control him or be able to ride him past it and through it and your horse knows in his head that yep I've got the opportunity here's my chance to take the mick and one of my clients last Christmas actually said that she'd finally got the confidence after six months of us training together to make her boy go on a circular route around a hack and ride past a digger on the road and she said previously he'd nap he'd spin there'd be cars coming and she'd just go the other way she knew she wouldn't win it and it would turn into a fight and she was worried that on the road she was going to either have an accident or have a problem and obviously from a safety point of view whether you're hacking or maybe you're at an event you 
you need to have the ability to control your horse. You're equally 50%. So, you know, you need to make sure that your 50% of the partnership is as strong and as confident both mentally and physically as it can possibly be. And at this wintry time of year, it could be also more dangerous than normal if the roads are a little bit icy or, you know, obviously we're back out doing things like arena eventing or going to dressage shows or clinics and your horses are going to be fresher. They're going to be sharper. They're going to be freshly clipped and it's going to be much easier for them to uh, try to build bad habits or have naughty moments ahead of the competition season or ahead of a lesson and you need to be in full control and know that you've got the ability to handle this. So it's having that mindset of you've got the physical strength, you have confidence to ride outside of the arena, you've got confidence to go and tackle a show jumping round with your horse and your physical strength and your mindset go hand in hand. If you know you're physically going to be able to handle that situation or problem, whether that's on your horse or whether that's something that you are um, given in the gym, you're given a task to do and you think, oh, I can do this, I know I can do this, you're automatically not going to want to avoid the situation or be afraid to take it on head on. And if you know you've got physical limitations within your riding or your riding position, then you want to make sure you're working on improving these off your horse so that when you get on or maybe if you are having a bit of a bad day or you've got a sore back, you know that you are physically as strong as you can be to handle this. And if we think about really strengthening the physical side first, then we can think about the mental side and how we can improve your mental performance. And the solution here would be to start to build your strength by focusing on getting yourself fitter and stronger through progressive resistance training. Even if you just worked on improving your aerobic and your cardiovascular capacity, that is gonna help because if you're finding that after 20 minutes of a fresh hack, you're getting puffed out, you're getting physically fatigued, then you want to make sure that you are working on building your endurance and your stamina, which is where making sure you're adding in aerobic work, whether that's going for a run, uh, maybe doing a swim, cycling, doing some HIIT training at home, whatever it is, you wanna make sure that you're doing that to improve your stamina. And resistance training can be whatever you want to be using in terms of load and equipment. That could be to start with just body weight if you've never trained before. If you have trained and you're quite experienced in the gym, then you probably want to get some weights or some functional equipment, things like medicine balls. They would be great to use. Um, maybe a kettlebell and also you've got the option of bands. COVID and the last year has shown us that you can do so much from home. So you don't actually need to be going to the gym in order to get a resistance training program into uh, your day to day and making sure that you're realistic with the time you have as well so that you can stick to this program consistently because that's the only way you're going to strengthen your physical strength is by being consistent with things. And the stronger you are, the slower you are to, f to fatigue, the more effective you're going to be as a rider. And ultimately, you know, if you're confident, your horse is gonna be confident. We all put so much time, money, effort at this time of the year. I know for me, it's a mad rush to get up at 6, 6.30 in the morning, go muck out. If I can get out for a hack or a ride quickly in the morning, or I go to the office, I run back trying to, you know, get a ride in at one point of the day. And you want to enjoy that. We put so much effort into it. You don't want to be getting on thinking, oh, I feel nervous, or if there's something around the corner or preempting that something negative might happen. And if you know that you've got the capacity to handle that, riding is going to be far more enjoyable and your horse is going to feel more confident as well and within a few months you should start to see some clear differences in your riding within a few months of training and what you could do as well is ask your instructor for some feedback if you have regular lessons with somebody maybe on a weekly basis or on a fortnightly basis you could maybe video your uh, riding in, in a part of your lesson to make a comparison or you could ask your instructor to notice like has my positioning improved do you think I'm landing stronger over fences and get some feedback because ultimately that's the only way to know if you're actually getting stronger and 
the end of the day, like I said, we all want to have fun with our horses. It's absolute privilege that we get to ride. We get to go hunting, hacking, competing, playing polo, whatever it is, going out on trail rides. So you want to be make sure that you've got that full confidence and that ability to be able to hold on to your horses ride them through tricky situations and enjoy them without thinking oh we're going to have an argument today or being worried about what's coming next so the mental and the physical side go hand in hand and if you really strengthen yourself as much as you possibly can physically it's only going to benefit you from a mental point of view i hope you found that episode useful and if you're looking for any more information or help with your fitness and health then feel free to check out my work at eventriderfitness.com Thank you, Katie. We'll be with Katie again next week to talk about the benefits of strength training for riders. And our interview will be with the international show jumper, Jay Hallam, talking about his biggest wins, why he hopes 2022 will be a year to remember and burning issues in the horse industry. Don't miss that one. Thanks for joining us today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do rate, review and share it in your podcast app and on social media. Talk to you next week. The Horse and Ham podcast is a Media Cage production.